You're so loved. I hope you guys know how much you're loved because you are like crazy loved. God is amazing. We're crazy loved. I would have to say it was about probably a month and a half ago. I think I shared this, but I was praying and seeing this vision of a, a demon in my side. And it kind of freaked me out. And I was trying to pull this demon out of my side. And the more I tried to pull it out, the further in it went. I seen it going from my side up through my esophagus and coming out of my mouth. And I realized at that moment, because at first you think, well, I can't have a demon on my side. That doesn't even make sense. But as soon as I got done with it, the Lord showed me what it was. It was the spirit of judgment that was in the body of Christ. And he was telling me that it can't be pulled out with force. It has to be rejected. It made sense to me. The spirit of judgment is so dangerous in a Christian's life because we were never meant to judge. The scripture actually says, judge nothing before it's time. But wait till that day when Christ is revealed, who will then judge the secret intents of the heart? The reality is, is we don't know somebody's heart when they're doing something. And you could assume that their motives are wrong, but you can't see inside. Because you can have really messed up theology and your heart's right. You can have great and excellent theology and your heart's wrong. And when God judges us, that scripture says that he's going to judge the hearts of men. Not whether their theology was 100%. No. Scripturally, the scribes had some of the best theology there was because they held to the letter of the law to the point. But their hearts were wrong. If you came in, in here, and I was praying to my Bible, it's like, oh, oh God, you are amazing. You are amazing, God, and I just thank you. You'd be like, what are you doing? You'd be like, well, I'm praying to God. You'd be like, no, that's not God. Jesus said that you study the Scriptures pertaining to the Pharisees. He said, you study the scriptures, for in them you think that you have life. And these are the same scriptures that testify of me, yet you yourselves are unwilling to come to me. The scripture was never supposed to take the place of God. It was supposed to direct us into that intimate relationship with God. Theology has become God in some people's lives. And they think because they understand theology that there's somebody in God. Well, a Pharisee did that one day. He came and he's praying. The Bible actually says he's praying with himself because God's not in that. And he says, thank you, Father, that I'm not like this tax collector, this sinner. He said, thank you that I'm not like him. I give tithes of everything I own. And he's boasting in all his own righteousness. And the Bible says that the sinner that was next to him, that tax collector, wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he smote his own breast. That means that he was grieved. If you hit yourself, that means you're grieved. It's an expression. When you smote your own chest, it's actually a symbol of something. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He knew that he wasn't worth anything in his own eyes. But he said this prayer. He said, Father, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And the Bible says that he went back to his house justified, declared right with God. I don't care if your theology is awesome. I don't care if you're right on biblically. 
If your heart is not right, it will cause the very God that you're seeking to please to resist you. Because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it says in 1 Corinthians that we're not the one who chose ourselves to be in Christ. It was God who chose us in him. And then it goes on to say at the end of the chapter, if we're going to boast in anything, let us boast in him. Because if it wasn't for God giving us life and making those dark areas light to us, all of us would still be in darkness to this day. So when we laugh or judge our brothers about the darkness they're in, how could you do that? Because when we do that, we're just making it that much more darker in their life. And we're the ones to turn the lights on in believers' and non-believers' lives. Jesus said that you're literally the light of the world, a city set upon a hill. And if we're the light of the world and the rest of the world is in darkness, how are they expected to see if we hide our light? That's the whole point of that scripture. He said you'd, no one lights a candle and sets it under a basket. No. He said they set it on a table so that the whole house can receive the light. You're the light of the world. The life of the Spirit of God in Christ has made you free from the laws of sin and death. You're freer right now than you ever will be. You might not feel free, but who the Son sets free is free indeed. You've already been made free. Amen. We're going to deal with the spirit of judgment today, and we're actually going to be talking about love. I'm going to start in James chapter 4, verse 11. I was preparing this message at the same time I was preparing to officiate my uncle's funeral, so... It was kind of awesome, you know, I was telling Mark that, and I was like, it was good though. Usually you prepare for one message, well, the grace was there to prepare for two. I bring to God the little that I have. I don't esteem myself as somebody great, but what I have, I bring it to God. Literally, my life is a living sacrifice. That's what I want it to be. And I bring it to God and say, if anyone can do anything with this, it's you. <laughs> I can't do anything with this. You know, I've tried. But I realize that when somebody, I've had this happen so many times in my Christian life. Somebody will try to point out something wrong with you. And so all of a sudden we're beholding ourselves. And I might even have done it to other people. I don't anymore, but I might have. All of a sudden, we're beholding ourselves and people are expecting us to change. But the Bible says that just from beholding Him, we're changed from glory to glory into that same image as we behold Him. So if somebody comes and tells you about yourself, you've already missed it and they missed it. Because we're changed from beholding Him. And if we're looking at ourselves outside of Him trying to find a solution for what we are, you're going to be lost. But if you realize that He's the solution to everything that you need, then it's from Him that you find the strength and the ability. That's what grace actually is. It's God's ability, His influence upon your heart. And that's where it says that God will actually resist the proud, someone who's arrogant or think that there's something in themselves, but that He'll give grace, He'll give His ability to the humble. He'll empower you because of a spirit of humility that's upon you. And you'll refuse to walk in judgment when that spirit of humility is on you. Like uh, Fred said this morning, Jesus never laughed or mocked sinners. He knew why they were sinners. And he walks with every one of us. And uh, we're going to start in James chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, don't say anything against each other 
If you criticize your brother or sister in Christ or judge them, you are criticizing and judging the law. And when you are judging the law, you are not a follower of the law, you have become a judge. I didn't understand this. So the way that I reasoned it, and probably even the way that I preached it in the past, because it says that if you judge your brother, you're actually judging the law. And I was thinking, well, how could I judge the law? And then all of a sudden I thought, well, in whatever judgment a judge makes, he's held to the own standard that he judges with. That's why it's called the law. This week, as I was studying this out, the Lord actually brought this to me. And as I was studying it out, I thought, well, I'm going to look up that word law and see if it's actually referring to the Ten Commandments. And you know what? It is not. And I was amazed because it's the same word used in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, where it says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made you free from the law of sin and death. When it's talking about the law of the Spirit and the law which condemns and kills, it's the same word. So actually what it's saying right here, if you guys want to go to James chapter 2, verse 8, one law rules over all other laws. This royal law is found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor the same as you love yourselves. Then what law is the law of the Spirit? James 2.8 just told us it's the law of love. See, in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments were given. And that became part of the law. That's the outline of the law. If you go to most Christians' houses, they have the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall. But there's a law of the Spirit, and we also have a chapter in the New Testament. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is the law of the Spirit. I named it that myself. It's the law of the Spirit. If the law of the Spirit is love, that means if I make a judgment against you, I'm judging that law of the Spirit. Well, if the law of the Spirit is love and God is love, then actually I'm judging God. Have you guys ever read the scriptures in Romans 15 that says the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me? That means when you accept Christ, all of you is covered by all of Him. If I make a judgment against you, then I'm actually judging the one who's inside of you, and I'm saying that love isn't enough. Love isn't enough. I don't know about you guys, but I have faults. I do. All through my past, even close to the present, people have tried pointing out my faults. I don't get mad. I don't say hurtful things back or anything like that. You know what? I respond very graciously. I tell them, I'll examine my own heart. And if that's in there, thank you. I don't want that to be in there. But people will make assumptions based upon something that they believe God's showing them. But God will never show you anything that will condemn your brother because that's what the Scripture says. Don't criticize or judge your brothers. See, if I criticize you for an apparent fault in your life, I have to act like I don't have any. And when I criticize you, I'm actually criticizing grace, and I'm stepping outside of love. Because grace is God's ability working inside of you to produce something. So if I judge you, then I'm saying that God is not sufficient in your life to help you through that. I'm actually judging love. I'm, I'm judging God Himself. And that's why it says to pray for one another. 
that you may be healed and God may forgive you for your sins. So when we judge our brothers, we're actually judging love. And if we are judging the law, then we are actually judging God. God is love. We start condemning them in Christ instead of setting them free through Christ. You're actually condemning somebody in Christ because they're in Christ. And you're saying, I'm judging you based upon what I see. So you're judging them in Christ instead of setting them free through Christ. The whole reason Jesus came was to open the doors of the prison to those that are bound. He came to lead captivity captive. If you see captivity happen in somebody's life, the whole reason you're there is to lead them out, not condemn them for where they're at. See, the spirit of life in Christ has made us free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ. There is a law of the spirit, and it's supposed to bring life. The law brought condemnation. It brought judgment. It held you to standards that you yourself couldn't keep. You couldn't keep them because you were born with a nature. That nature needed to be destroyed inside of you, but you couldn't destroy that nature because it was yours. But when Jesus came, he was crucified. All of our transgressions, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings were then placed on him, and all of his innocence now clothes us. If all of his innocence and all of my judgment went on him, all of his innocence came on me, then how could you judge me or how could I judge you? Wouldn't my primary goal in this life be to set you free? Because the law could only bring death, but the law of the Spirit can only bring life. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 13 maps out what the Spirit actually does and what love actually is. Because love is a person and that person is inside of you just waiting to express itself to a dying world. Because the world is dying, religion is dying, but God is very much alive, and He loves, He loves the people in this world. Amen. Thoughts are going to come to all of us about people. They just do. Revelations 12.10 says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God is the accuser of the brethren. So if Satan was cast out of heaven, he's come down to the earth, he used to accuse us night and day before God, but Michael kicked him out of heaven. The Bible says there was no more place found for him. So now, since he can't accuse us to God, he has to accuse us one to another. He's the accuser of the brethren. I don't even entertain thoughts that come to me about what somebody should be, is not, or why are they. I don't entertain those thoughts. They come to me like everybody else. I fight those things because I understand where there's strife, there's contempt, and every other evil work. I believe that the spirit of judgment is what opens the door wide for the devil to attack believers. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 2. And the measure that you judge somebody else, you yourself will be condemned. Because it goes back to what I originally thought that verse text meant. Because if you become a judge, you're held to your own standard as a judge. A judge that judges somebody for murder can't be committing murder, or he wouldn't be qualified to judge somebody who is. He's held to the standard which he rules by. And when we hold other people to a standard that we think they should be doing, all of a sudden, we just put a standard on our own lives. Because you're judging grace, and you're stepping out of love. And you can't do that and have a successful Christian walk. The thoughts are going to come to you all the time. All sorts of thoughts come to us. 
Like I heard a minister say one time, he can't help birds from flying over his head, but bless God, they don't get to make a nest in his hair. You know, you're not moving in. The moment that I embrace something and start meditating on it, and then I allow it to come out, I just embrace that thought. Now, literally, that's what creates strongholds. If you take every thought captive by the obedience of Christ, bringing it into submission, that's what you have to do. You have to take those thought captives and say, no, Father, you love them enough to die for them. And if you love them enough to die for them, at least I can live a life of love and compassion to want to see them get out of what they're in instead of condemning them to what they've already done. See, even the Apostle Paul, he showed the Corinthian church something different than what they were doing. These guys are sleeping with temple prostitutes. They're lying to each other. They're literally stealing from one another, and they're taking each other to court in front of unbelievers. He goes on to tell them that, don't you know that he who joins himself with a prostitute joins Christ with the prostitute? He never told them Christ left them. And then, in, I believe it's in chapter 5, he said, that's what some of you were. He wants to give them a clear picture of who they became, not who they were. Even despite what they were doing, he was showing them something different. Because until somebody sees themselves other than what they became, there's no way out. But the moment that you, the light of the world, shine the light, they can see the clear exit out. It's the life that we have inside Christ. And I know this isn't an exuberant message, but I believe it's one that's needed because I don't believe this body walks in judgment, but a lot of people will listen to this. And a lot of people, when they judge somebody, they really believe it's God. They do. They think they're righteous and you're less righteous because you're not doing what they're doing. Each one of us will be held accountable for the revelation that we have received. If God shows me a revelation and all of a sudden I start holding one of you accountable to my revelation, but you haven't received any light on it, what am I going to do? You're going to perpetually come short and you won't meet my standards. But the only standard that's supposed to be met, Christ already met it. If God's going to hold you accountable to the light that you have and me accountable to the light that I have, then let's walk in the light that we have and just be that light. Like I said before, you can't strong arm anybody to believing the way that you believe. All you can do is just live out what you believe. You have to just live it out. Because the Spirit of God that is inside of you wants to take you deeper than you've ever went. You can only get there through love. If I was to ask you a question, I mean, faith is amazing, right? Without faith, you can't even please God. Is faith greater than love? It's not. When I first asked you that, you want to say, yeah, because we believe that faith is like amazing, and it is. But the Apostle Paul says that these three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You know, love covers a multitude of sin. A multitude is something that can't even be counted. That's why they call it a multitude. It's too big to count. And the Bible says that love will literally cover it. That means the worst person in your family, the worst drug addicted, prostitute, whatever they're doing, that literally your love can cover their sin. You want to know how that happens? Because you don't see them as what they've done. You see them for who they are. Each one of us, when we were born, we were born with purpose. We were created for destiny. We were made in the likeness and the image of God. 
And when you see somebody living less than the likeness and image of God, you don't want to criticize them for living less. No, you want to help show them who they've been made to be instead of who they became to be. See, in order to live that lifestyle, they had to believe a lie. Well, if you have the truth and the truth shall make you free, how can they be free if you don't share the truth? The truth of who Jesus is and who they can be or who they are in Him, not what they've done. Reminding me of what I've done will bring me condemnation. Reminding me who I am will bring me freedom. And it's freedom that I need. If I'm struggling, I only share it with just like three or four people. I share it with people who I know will not show me what I did, but will tell me who I am. Because in my moment of weakness, I don't need to be reminded of my faults. I need to be reminded of his success. That this isn't you. That I'm not going to keep you and associate every time I think of you with that. That you were created with purpose. That God still has a plan and a destiny for your life. That he'll never leave you or forsake you. That he's loved you with an everlasting love. And that the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can serve God. Right now, we're the cleanest as we're ever going to be. And if you're struggling with something in the flesh, remember it's in the flesh, not in your spirit. Your spirit is renewed in the image of God. Your flesh sometimes wants to rise up. A while ago, I'm doing the dishes. I'm listening to worship music. All of a sudden, this strong spirit of lust comes on me. I can feel it in my body. I know that's not me. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? And the first thought I thought was, play the audio Bible on Proverbs. I put Proverbs on, the audio Bible. You would be surprised at how weak that thing is. Within a minute, it was gone. And I was telling Jamie that. I said, it's amazing. The thing comes so strong, but in the presence of truth, It's broken so easy because it's trying to gain power. It's trying to make you believe that somehow this could gratify you. But in the moment of truth, that thing is broken. In every test, there's an opportunity for it to become a testimony, but it's only through the test or the trial that it becomes a testimony. A testimony means just do it again, God. The reason why we stand up and we testify of what God's did is to encourage somebody else that, hey, if God did that for you, he can do that for me. It becomes a testimony. That means it gives life to somebody else in their moment of darkness and their place of weakness. If God was strong enough to do that in your life, then he's strong enough to do it in mine. Because we know the scriptures and the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. He don't respect you because of what family you were born in. He don't respect you because of your high school or college level of graduation. He don't respect you because of your years in the ministry. He's no respecter of persons. He's not. He loves each of us on the same level. Whether you served him for 40 years or you just started today, he loves you the same. Because it's not by works that we gain acceptance into his love. It's by accepting who he is that literally we have the opportunity to become love. Because as we behold him, we're changed into that same image. We go from glory to glory. That's why it's so important that you can never entertain a thought about a fellow believer at all. 
I mean, if you see something, if you see somebody out here committing adultery and you say, well, I don't want to judge them. No, you can judge the adultery. You can judge all that. You can judge that's wrong. But you never judge them. Because if you was to condemn them in something, then all of a sudden their identity becomes attached to what they did instead of attached to what Jesus did. And that's the only thing that can really bring freedom. Amen. And some people, like I've heard other pastors say, they think that they're qualified to be fruit inspectors. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no man knows the mind of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him. My own heart, I have to check it sometimes to see if my motives are pure. I live with me. I have to check my own heart to see if my motives are pure. How in the world could I judge yours? That's crazy. Even after what? 10 years of ministry, 14 years of being a Christian, knowing the grace message, I still have to check myself to see if my motives are right. But you know what I won't do? I won't let somebody else's conscience or opinions of me condemn me. That's why I said I'm always gracious when somebody says, well, the Lord showed me this about you. I mean, have you been in Christianity for any amount of time? There's some weird stuff. They're like for real, like some for real weird stuff that people think is God. I'm just gracious. Yeah, I'm just gracious. And I say, okay, thank you. You know, if that's in there, I'm going to do an inventory when I get home. I'm going to take inventory. If it's there, hey, I'll get rid of it. I don't get offense like, oh, who do you think you are? No, I understand that they're working through stuff just like I am. And God's grace was sufficient enough to get me here. Then for sure it's sufficient enough to get them here. But if I judge them for judging me, <laughs> it's crazy. It's a trap. Because the enemy is always trying to infiltrate your life. And this is my own personal beliefs. You can reject them. You can accept them. I don't think sin lets the devil in because all your sin has been paid for. I mean, there's some stuff you can do in your body that will destroy your life. But that's not the main way he's trying to get in. Sin is meant to take your confidence away. So when you approach God, you don't have confidence to receive because your heart condemns you. It's not God condemning you, it's your own heart. But the spirit of judgment opens wide the door for the enemy to come through. And you'll see the most critical people in life usually have the biggest doors open, even in Christianity. And Christianity, like the religious side of Christianity, is crazy with it. Like they'll say they want to kill you in the name of God. They'll think that they're justified for doing it because they base it upon what you should be doing according to the light they have. If you look in the book of Acts where Paul and Barnabas went to the apostles in Jerusalem and they were wanting to have them circumcised and to keep the law and Peter stands up and he says, brothers and sisters, we're trying to, to hold them accountable to a law that neither our fathers or we could live up to. They write them like four or five things to keep, like sexual immorality, food sacrificed to idols, anything that's meat that's been strangled, that still has the blood in it, don't eat it. Like it's a very, very small list. Very, very small list. Because the law can only bring bondage. But the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ brings complete freedom. We're going to actually read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 instead of just talking about it. God is amazing, though. He is. And this revelation of like mercy over judgment, I told Heather it's like one of the greatest revelations that I've received next to salvation and grace. 
because I believe that it's spared me so many times where other people, their ministries are cut short or whatever, you know, their families are affected. I believe that this revelation of to literally mercy over judgment is just, it's amazing. The Bible says the one born of God keeps himself and the wicked one judges him not. Well, how can I keep myself? The only other place that I found where we're supposed to keep ourselves is found in the book of Jude, and it says to keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if I'm keeping myself in accordance with the Scripture, the one who keeps himself, that Satan can't touch us because we keep ourselves, well, we're supposed to be keeping ourselves in the love of God. That's the way that he can't touch us. It's because there's no door open to him. I could preach all day about you not judging somebody else, but the reality is, is that you're not even supposed to judge yourself. The Apostle Paul said, I counted a very little thing if I'm judged by you or by anyone. He said, matter of fact, I don't even judge myself. But the one who judges me, his judgments are true because his judgments are based in love. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And when God looked on judgment on the earth, he was rather moved with compassion. And that's why it could say in James that mercy triumphs over judgment. Because judgment should have destroyed us, but love was greater than judgment, and it saved us. Amen. All right, love is patient. Now, when you read this, I mean, it's good to say, I am patient, I am kind, but it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, it does not brag, and it is not proud. Love is not rude, it is not selfish. It cannot be made angry easily. Love does not remember wrongs done against it. Ooh, man. Love does not remember wrongs done against it. So in order for you to forgive somebody who's wronged you and to forget it, you would have to be imitating love itself, which is the Father. Because all humanity sinned against Him. But in Christ, he remembers it no more. As far as the east is from the west, all your sins have been taken from you. They've been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, and there God doesn't remember them. That's love. So how can we forget when somebody wrongs us? Keeps no record of wrongs. That means that, well, this is the sixth time you've done that. Do it one more time, you know. I already went past three strikes, you're out. I gave you three more. You done struck out twice. One more, you're done. No. No. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody's wronged you and continues to wrong you that you need to be their best friend. No. Sometimes it's better that you're not around certain people. I'm not saying that. But if there's anything they ever need, if your enemy's thirsty, you're going to give them something to drink. If they're hungry, you're going to give them something to eat. Why? Because that's what God did to us. The Bible says that he causes the sun to rise on the good as well as the evil. Yeah, that doesn't mean you have to keep them around. If they're abusive, you have to stay because I, you know, I'm, I just want to be loved. No, love sometimes tells you you have to leave. It really does. It might sound crazy. You're not judging them. You're not condemning them. Most of the time we do that, it's to protect what matters most. You know that? And if somebody's coming and causing strife and everything else, it's better to tell that person they have to leave than to let that in your house. It is. You'll love them. It's better to stop somebody in their tracks if they want to talk about somebody and say, I'm not doing that. 
Because what the enemy is trying to do, he's trying to get an inroad into your life. You understand that? It's so serious. You cannot do it as a Christian and get away with it. You can't. Because we're expecting God to forgive us and to help us with every shortcoming, failure, insecurity, whatever it is. We're expecting Him to help us, yet we don't want to help our brothers. We're expecting God to forgive us, but we don't want to forgive our brothers. It doesn't work like that. Are you forgiven? Yeah, you're always forgiven. But are you going to open the door for the enemy to hit you? Oh, yeah. That's what the spirit of judgment is there for. All right. Love is never happy when others do wrong, but it is always happy with the truth. Not the truth of what they did, but the truth of who you are and who they are. Amen. Like we said before, in order for some people to do certain things they did, or even us in our past, we had to believe a lie. We had to believe the lie. The reason why we're changed now is because we came into contact with the truth, and that truth is a person. And that truth that we've seen actually shed the love of God abroad in our hearts, because the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Amen. And we're no longer that, what we used to be. Because before Christ, we used to see ourselves as the things we did. But in Christ, we see ourselves now through the things He did. I'm accepted as right with God because of Jesus. Nothing of my past has to hold to me because of the freedom of the Spirit that's in Christ. If I choose to walk in love, I can become everything that God is. Because He is love. And there's a place in God where we get to where we're walking in such love and unity with the Spirit that God can give us everything because we're not going to use it for advantage. We're not going to try to promote ourselves. We actually come to a place of humility. Humility is just reliance upon God, just reliance upon Him. I'm not trying to rely on myself to walk this Christian life out. If I was, then it wasn't grace. There's been times in my past where I didn't feel like reading the Bible. I didn't feel like praying. You know, a revelation that I came to is if I want to see those results in my life, it's not me trying to work to get it. It's just asking for grace. God, give me the grace and the desire to want to read more because I know I need to. Work in me, Holy Spirit, to want to pray more because I know I need to. I'm not relying on myself to produce something. I'm actually dependent upon you. I know it works because it did for me. God's no respecter of persons. All of a sudden, I wanted to read the Bible more. I wanted to pray more. I wasn't thinking that, you know, through prayer and, and reading the Word that somehow I get closer to God. When you realize that you're as close to Him as you're ever going to get. It's true. It is. All right. Love never gives up on people. Oh, I love that. Love never gives up on people. You know how many times I wanted to give up on people? Like for real, even as a Christian. My brother, I'm talking to him. I mean, I had a religious spirit then, only because that's all I knew. My heart was always right in those things. I wasn't doing it to promote myself or try to shun anybody. I believed I was right and I was held accountable to the light I had, even if it was wrong, because that's all I knew. But when the heart's right, there's something about God's ability in us to bring us to a higher revelation. See, when the heart's wrong, even though God would want to work His ability to reveal more truth to you, He can't because your heart's off. He has to first change the heart condition in order to get the truth in. 
having a conversation with my brother and he gets all mad. I don't even remember what it was. It was years ago. It was like my first year being saved. I was like like a radical Christian. Like I was. But I wasn't radical and like God loves you. I'm like, you're radical, you're all going to hell. You know, you need to repent. <laughs> Jesus loves you. <laughs> But he has no problem sending you to hell. No, but uh, he's talking to my brother, and he starts cussing at me, you know, and hangs up the phone. And there was something even then in my first year when I was saved. I believed with all my heart. When I fully gave my life to the Lord, I was all in. I remember getting off the phone and laying on the floor and crying and asking God to forgive him and not to judge him for what he just did. Because in my mind, I thought God was going to judge him because of what he said to me. Ain't that foolish? God could have been judged for all eternity. He could have been judged. He didn't want to be judged. He wanted to be Father. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And when we realize how much God actually loves them, we're not going to try to force the law down their throat. But we're going to try to free them through the freedom that only comes through a relationship with the Father, through His Son, Jesus. When accepting Jesus, it really does open us up to receive the fullness of God, which is the Holy Spirit, inside of us. If we're trying to walk this out on our own, we're continually going to come short. We are. All right, it never gives up on people. It never stops trusting. It never loses hope and never quits. Love will never end. I know people who have turned away from God and ran in the complete other direction. Me and my cousin Jay, we were talking about one of these people, and it comes up a lot of times where people think, well, did they even know God? How could you know God and do that? If it wasn't for God's ability, that could be us. And I know the man that he was talking about, the man didn't know God. Heard him preach numerous times, a man filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe most of that stuff starts through the spirit of judgment. I think it's through judging other people that we start darkening our own hearts. Is the guy no longer saved? No, I don't believe that. I believe he's saved. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I like what Bill Johnson said when he said, you know, I don't believe in eternal insecurity. When I think about losing my salvation, all it could ever do is make you insecure. You know that? I'm so secure in Christ, I'm not concerned about losing my salvation. That shouldn't even be an issue on any of our minds or our hearts. Like, we're so loved of the Father. It's, it's not a point of contention. Me and my buddy Byron, I used to believe that you could lose your salvation. We would spend sometimes maybe well over an hour because we both drove arguing, like to the point of yelling sometimes. He's my buddy, so I can yell and he could yell and we could just continue to, to love each other because we're friends. We know each other's hearts, you know. But uh, you know that never produced any edification. And it was like years later, all of a sudden I'm talking to him and he was like, we actually went to his Bible study and he's like, well, I know you guys don't believe like that, but I know you believe that you can lose your salvation. I was like, no, I don't believe that anymore. He said, when did you stop believing that? Because that was some of our like arguments. So I don't know, I just went through the Word and I just personally, I don't believe you can. But you know churches split over that? People start thinking evil about each other because of stuff like that. It's crazy. Like, our theology should never divide us. Our theology, even in, in this small group here, it's not always going to line up with each other's. But I know that each person here is born again. 
I know that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. I know that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything else outside of that, you're free to believe. If you want to believe you can lose your salvation, that's fine. I'm not going to judge you either way. I never actually preached that, but I believed it. I thank God that he never allowed me to preach it. See, I was condemning sinners to hell. I wasn't condemning Christians to hell. That was my problem. Now realizing that's the place I just came from. Crazy, ain't it? It is. But God is so in love with each one of us. He wants us to become manifested love to hurting people around you. If you can put yourself in their story, surely you'll be moved with compassion. But God is amazing. It's wonderful to be here in service with you guys. I mean, when I say I, we love you, I love you guys, I actually mean it with everything I am. And we missed you guys like we did. It's just wonderful to be home. Amen. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone. I thank you that we're not just a congregation, that it's actually family. I thank you that there's a love in this body, Lord Jesus, that's going to just continue to multiply outside this body. You said that all men will know that we're your disciples because of the love that we have for one another. I thank you that this love is in this church, Father, and that people see the way that we love one another and bear with one another and we don't judge one another and they'll say, wow, God's with them because I don't know any congregation like theirs. I just thank you, Father. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, guys.